You are listening to New Source One Michiana, the afternoon podcast called Michiana Speak Out, where we can talk to you or you can talk to us and learn a lot of new stuff. The show begins after the news. News Nation this hour, I'm Steve Ruxton. President Joe Biden today reiterated his pledge to nominate the first black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court, saying it was, quote, long overdue. He also praised retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, who's been on the bench for 27 years as a model public servant. Everyone knows that Stephen Breyer has been an exemplary justice, courteous to his colleagues, careful in his reasoning. He's written landmark opinions on topics ranging from reproductive rights to health care to voting rights to patent law the laws protecting our environment and the laws that protect our religious practices. Breyer is 83. Biden says his intention is to name Breyer's replacement by the end of February. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has rejected in a written letter Russian President Vladimir Putin's demand that the U.S. block Ukraine from joining NATO. We get more on the story from News Nation's Allison Harris. The concern now is will Russia retaliate? Secretary of State Antony Blinken addressing this in a press conference yesterday yesterday, saying he hopes to speak with the Russian foreign minister in the coming days about Russia's response. Putin's intent here is that he wants to undo the collapse of the Soviet Union and further exert Russia's power, forbidding Ukraine from joining NATO and installing a puppet government in Ukraine. Russia says the U.S. decision leaves very little room for optimism, but that dialogue moving forward is still possible. Talks are expected to resume in two weeks. Today is a deadline for 10.4 million health care workers who work at facilities that participate in the federal Medicare or Medicaid programs to get their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Covers doctors, nurses, technicians, aides, and even volunteers at hospitals, nursing homes, home health agencies, and other facilities. The U.S. Supreme Court upheld the mandate two weeks ago. The government will begin enforcing the first dose requirement on February 14th in two dozen other states where injunctions were lifted after the Supreme Court ruling. It takes effect on February 22nd in Texas, which filed a separate lawsuit. I'm Mike Gracia. Two-time Super Bowl champ and six-time Pro Bowler, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is retiring. He made it official this morning on Twitter, ending his 18-year career at age 39. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and on the News Nation Now app. I'm Steve Ruxton. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. The White House has announced that German Chancellor Olaf Scholz will visit Washington next week for crisis talks with President Biden over Ukraine. The news came as the US and Germany warned that a Russian invasion would lead to sanctions targeting the Kremlin's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Europe. From FSN's Washington Bureau, Nick Harper reports. US State Department spokesman Ned Price is suggesting that Nord Stream 2, the already controversial pipeline project, could be stopped if a Russian invasion goes ahead. In an interview with NPR, he said the US would work with Germany to ensure it does not move forward. Last May, President Biden waived sanctions against a company building the pipeline, essentially giving the project his blessing. Announcing the news of Schultz's visit, the White House didn't mention Nord Stream 2, but did say the Chancellor and the President would discuss joint efforts to deter further Russian aggression. 
President Biden, meanwhile, is hailing news that the US economy grew more than expected last quarter, despite a surge in COVID-19 cases. From FSN's business desk in New York, Will Denzelo reports. In the last three months of 2021, analysts expected US GDP to rise at an annualized pace of 5.5%. But the Commerce Department has reported that the economy in fact grew 6.9% in the fourth quarter, thanks to robust consumer spending and an inventories boost. There are still red flags for the economy, with a recent spike in COVID-19 cases, rising inflation and lingering supply chain issues or barriers to sustained economic growth. The Biden administration has claimed credit for last year's GDP increasing by the fastest pace since 1984. The White House says its economic strategy helped create good jobs, boost manufacturing and strengthen domestic supply chains. Prince Charles, the heir to the British throne, has marked International Holocaust Remembrance Day by unveiling a series of portraits of Nazi death camp survivors. In a video message, he said the task of bearing witness falls to everyone. This is not a task for one time only, nor is it a task for one generation or one person. It is for all people, all generations and all time. This is our time when we can, each in our own way, be the light that ensures the darkness can never return. And Barry Cryer, one of the great comedy writers of all time, has died in Britain at the age of 86. His career spanned more than six decades. He was brought to prominence by David Frost, who hired him in the 1960s. He also worked with Mike Yarwood, Billy Connolly, Frankie Howard and a host of other stars and appeared himself on stage, screen and radio. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks, looking in more depth now at the news that Justice Stephen Breyer plans to step down from the Supreme Court later this year, giving US President Joe Biden a valuable opportunity to nominate his replacement. But timing will be of the essence. In the Senate, we want to be deliberate. We want to move quickly. We want to get this done as soon as possible. That's Senator Charles Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, indicating that the Democrats know any nominee must secure 51 of the 100 votes available in the Senate to become a Supreme Court Justice. The Senate is currently split 50-50. The tradition of nominees securing bipartisan support appears largely to have shattered, and the Republicans hope to regain control of Congress in this November's midterm elections. Senator Schumer says President Biden is poised to make an historic pick. President Biden stated that he would choose a black woman and I expect he'll follow through on that. And the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, said his party will wait for the nominee to be revealed before jumping to any conclusions. We'll take a look at who the new nominee is and decide later. Um, whether or not to support. But Republicans will salivate at the possibility of blocking the president's nominee from reaching the bench, and Democrats must get the process complete before November if they want to take advantage of the knife-edge majority they currently enjoy in the Senate. The main news again, the White House has announced that German Chancellor Olaf Scholz will visit Washington next week for crisis talks with President Biden over Ukraine. The US economy grew more than expected in the last quarter of last year, sparking hopes of a post-pandemic recovery. Prince Charles marked Holocaust Remembrance Day by unveiling portraits of Nazi death camp survivors. And the comedy writer Barry Cryer has died aged 86. And that is the latest feature story news. 
Simon Marks reporting. Happy Thursday out there. It is the 27th of January, 2022, the anniversary of the fire on the pad in 1967 that killed Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee in a flash fire in the Apollo spacecraft. How's it going out there? My name is Keith Thews, and you're tuned in to Michigan Speak Out. Sorry I didn't have a podcast yesterday. Uh, time constraints and personal uh, schedules got in the way where I was not able to publish my podcast yesterday. Um, so we're going to be kind of doing yesterday's show today. Wow, this morning, Formula E started their eighth season of the ABB Formula E World Championship down in Deria, Saudi Arabia this morning. Uh, the first race is tomorrow. second race is on Saturday. But free practice one kicked off today, and the current world driving champion in electric car racing had a mishap early on in the practice. Only got two laps in, while the rest of the group got many, many more laps in for free practice number one. Free practice number two is tomorrow, followed by a new kind of qualifying that they're going to be having, the knockout-style qualifications, and then race number one, which can be watched on CBS Sports Network, um, or if you have a VPN, I'm sure you can watch it through YouTube. So a little bit later on, we're going to give you the information about Formula E, what it is about, and uh, give you a little bit of an education about that. Well, yesterday, our Sylvia Stark had a, uh, a nice informational both plus and minus about a school in Elkhart that we told you about, Hawthorne Elementary School, uh, and a potential change to its status, whether it's going to be a regular elementary school or an early childhood education or community center. Let's turn everything over to uh, our Sylvia Stark. If you didn't hear the mini-cast, let's replay that for you right now. Good afternoon. Here is a little update on what's happening with Hawthorne Elementary here in the south side of Elkhart. They have been talking about closing down Hawthorne, and this is due to decreasing numbers of enrollment and the number of faculty openings. They're trying to figure out the best use of financial resources and the best use of the building challenges. They prefer to repurpose the building into a pre-K and a community hub for Elkhart Community Schools student services. They even moved the K through sixth graders to other updated schools. And the two they talked about was Roosevelt and Marybeck, or they would have to add on to other schools. They guaranteed that all staff members would still be able to work in the district. But that seems to be a problem because you would eliminate a principal. If all the elementary schools have a librarian, a librarian would be eliminated, an art teacher would be eliminated. And they kept talking about how they are saving money. If they were to keep Hawthorne going, it would cost them $5 million to renovate the K-6 grade building, and it would take them over 20 years of payback. Whereas, if they would save $4 million, because it would cost them $1 million to make it a pre-K and community hub 
which may pay back in two to four years. They were talking about moving students from the oldest building to new facilities that have space. And they also said that Mary Daly and Monger are undergoing substantial improving this year. I work for Monger, and there's not much improving going on over there, except they worked on an internet system and added digital clocks. Three digital clocks. There is currently two pre-K classrooms at Hawthorne. And Mary Beck has six Head Start in one Title One classroom. This will save the district probably $232,000 if they were to close on Hawthorne. There's a lot of mixed reviews going on. There was an argument with a former Elkhart Community School school board member who said that the students are not learning over there. Which feared a lot of people, including their former assistant principal. There was over 136 comments from people frustrating that this person put the teachers down and everything. The teachers are amazing over there. I happened to work at Hawthorne for breakfast, so I do get a chance to interact with the teachers. So yes, there are all schools have struggles, all schools have issues, but the issue is going to be where are you going to put approximately 493 students? within a district. And it appears to be that they're going with the plan. They are having some community meetings, but working for the schools, sometimes the community is not the best interest of heart. They were talking about transportation issues was brought up by a community member. The transportation issue is going to be a problem. They talked about Hawthorne has four buses and certain kids walk. It mentioned that the kids can walk to Roosevelt but what about the ones to take a bus? You would have more kids would be on a bus. You would have more kids reroute everybody by time school starts in August. They will know more information in May what's happening. But knowing the schools, they're going to do what they're going to do best. They're in your best interest to keep Hawthorne there. But it sounds like they're leaning towards saving that money. Which again is approximately $232,000 a year. They talked about when they, that so many students have moved out of district. And when you see out of district, they lose funding for that. I will be posting a link to the board meeting that happened yesterday that talks more about the Hawthorne transitioning and what it would look like and their steps they're taking. They're asking the community to attend some meetings. There's four meetings that you could attend for more information. They're all in February. February 2nd and February 3rd, they're at Hawthorne at 6 p.m. February 9th, over at Roosevelt Elementary at 6 p.m. And finally, February 10th, over at Beck at 6 p.m. To know more about what's happening at Hawthorne Elementary, uh, please attend one of the community meetings or listen in on the podcast that will be posted shortly over on our new Source Michiana Facebook page. Take care, stay safe, and have a wonderful day. And so uh, I'd like to ask all of you, uh, if you are connected to Hawthorne or know somebody who is, uh, haven't played this podcast, here's Sylvia's comments. She does work over there, uh, works great with the kids, and I uh, want to hear your feedback. There's a message button you can click on and send us a voicemail. Are you in favor of what's going on? Or are you not? Are you attending these meetings? What are you hearing? 
let us know so we can share it with others. Um, this is a breaking story. Hawthorne's been around for many, many years. And I can remember Principal Bruce Klonowski, um, longtime principal, longtime teacher, uh, great guy. He was part of the of the Hawthorne scene for many years. And then the former principal of Pinewood, Mindy Shaw, also used to be um, very active and, and a teacher and stuff over at the old Roosevelt Elementary, oh, sorry, old Hawthorne Elementary there in Elkhart. So uh, drop us a message. We'll be glad to share it and hear your comments and what's going on. We're going to stay up on top of this very, very actively. Well, by the way, keep uh, pray for Europe, but also pray for the East Coast. Um, they are about to be hit by what looks like they're calling it a bomb blizzard, a blizzard bomb, which means two storms are going to come together and it's going to hit them with hurricane force winds. And in some places on the East Coast, two feet. Yes, yes, I just said that. Two feet of snow. And when it gets so bad that Reed Timmer, the storm chaser, goes out to chase a blizzard, of this magnitude, you know it's going to get bad. Atlantic City, I was reading at lunchtime, 22 inches of snow predicted for Atlantic City. Luckily, we don't have to worry about that, but we will have warm temperatures next week. Temperatures somewhere between 38 and 50 degrees in this area. Big temperature swing, but it's going to get warm on Tuesday into Wednesday. And then I guess we have another storm system that is coming into the area that we need to be concerned about that, according to WNDU, could go from heavy rain to decent snow to an icy mix. As it gets closer, they will let us know, and we'll let you know as soon as we know about anything. Well, yesterday I was going to let you know about another phenomenon, the volcanic eruption in the country of Tonga, that area, that had that round-the-world blast and pressure readings and all that. Well, we have some more information that I think will just blow your mind away. So let's get to it, courtesy of YouTube. On January 15th, 2022, the Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai volcano in the nation of Tonga produced its most powerful eruption ever recorded. As the volcano exploded with a force equivalent to the detonation of 6 million tons of TNT, a sustained eruption column was sent high into the atmosphere. Soon, small fragments of rock turned lapily rained down across sections of the nation of Tonga, including Tonga Tapu. Meanwhile, the explosion generated a tsunami wave which would go on to cause destruction across the Pacific Ocean. While individual tsunami waves lasted for as long as 30 minutes, by the time the first wave hit, the explosive eruption had already ended. Originally, us scientists had thought that the distinct eruption had lasted for around 55 minutes. In reality, the eruption lasted around 10 minutes, during which the volcano ejected 0.5 cubic kilometers of rock. This is very strange, as eruptions with sustained columns, termed Plinian eruptions, typically last on the time frame of many hours. As an example, the largest eruption of the 20th century, the Novarupta eruption of 1912 in Alaska, lasted for 60 hours. Therefore, what was witnessed at Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai marked the shortest duration Plinian eruption ever recorded. An interesting fact is that if you take into account the rate of ejected material per hour and compare it to other recent large volume eruptions, the Hunga Tonga eruption would be the most energetic since the 1883 eruption of Krakatoa. As so much material was ejected in a short time frame, it explains why the eruption plume was unusually tall despite the eruption's small size. Speaking of the eruption plume, recent data suggests that the top of the mushroom cloud reached around 35 kilometers in height. 
However, at its center, a very small section of the plume reached perhaps as high as 55 kilometers in height, which is more than halfway into space. It was even witnessed from onboard the International Space Station. Of course, this impressive height has not yet been confirmed and would represent the highest eruption plume ever measured. All that we are certain of is that a section of the eruption plume reached higher than 35 kilometers in height, hence the shadow visible on the main portion of the plume top. Regardless, even the figure of a 35 kilometer plume is unusual, as typically only eruptions which are two orders of magnitude larger reach this height. This brings me to my next point. There has been a bit of discussion around the volcanology community about calling the January 15th eruption a brand new eruption type. I happen to agree with this idea. While we are unsure what to call it, names are typically designated off of the first volcano documented to produce such an eruption. For example, the 1963-1967 island-forming eruption of Circean Iceland was used as the basis to describe so-called Circean eruptions, which describe shallow island-forming eruptions which often result in peripheral islands. Before January 14th, this eruption type was the dominant type of activity witnessed at Hunga Tunga Hunga Haapai. While later activity was initially described as Plinian due to its sustained eruption column, this isn't a good description of the eruption as it was too brief. Another possibility could be a so-called Phreatoplinian eruption that is a very wet Plinian eruption with an unusually high eruption column. While this initially seems like a good match, comparing it to two known historical examples, those eruptions each lasted at least six hours. Thus, the Hunga Tunga eruption was clearly different, and I suggest the new term be called a Hapaian eruption. This eruption type would describe a very brief eruption with a sustained eruption column that occurs from a vent beneath a body of water. Such an eruption would be triggered by water seeping into the underlying magma conduit, flashing to steam, and producing a very large, albeit brief, eruption. Eruption columns generated via this eruption type would be generally higher than 30 kilometers and composed primarily of water vapor instead of ash-dominant plumes which typically have an ominous gray color. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to request a specific topic, please leave a comment below. Additionally, I would like to thank my new patron Ryan from Newfoundland for supporting this channel. Alright, so after we take this little bit of a break, we'll go ahead and uh, hit you with the information about Formula E. Everything you need to know for the racing coming up Friday into Saturday, rounds one and rounds two of the ABB Formula E World Driving Championship. And then go on to Pastor Joe Irvin with another happy and hole in him installment. Have a good, safe day. Enjoy the warmth that is coming, but be prepared for the cold that is going to hit you first here in the next couple of days. Stay warm, stay safe. I'll be back with you with another show tomorrow, but let's get informed about Formula E after this little break. City changing by the second. 22 drivers racing fearlessly into the night. One of the most dominant races in the history of the championship. New rivalries, same obsession. To win whatever it takes. This is season eight, and there's no turning back.
Formula E is a highly competitive, fully electric racing series. 22 world-class drivers and 11 teams, including some of the world's biggest manufacturers, battle it out wheel-to-wheel -wheel on the streets of iconic cities. Racing at speeds of up to 280 kilometers per hour and accelerating from zero to 100 in just 2.8 seconds. The 45 minute plus one lap race format produces high intensity racing with teams and drivers battling on a level playing field thanks to identical batteries, tires and aerodynamics. Unique features like attack mode and fan boost makes Formula E anything but a traditional motorsport. And for the 2022 season, the cars have an extra 20 kilowatts of power to play with meaning faster and more furious battling, but still with the crucial need for teams and drivers to manage energy efficiently and strategically to finish the race and secure victory. This is the pinnacle of electric racing. This is Formula E. For season eight, a new qualifying format will see the fastest drivers going head to head in a one lap shootout to decide the Julius Baer pole position. A group stage will see two groups of 11 drivers get a 12-minute session to set lap times, with the fastest four from each group progressing into a knockout stage, where drivers will go head-to-head -head over one flying lap. Starting with the eight fastest drivers facing off in the quarter-finals, the fastest in Group A going against the four fastest in Group B, the fastest in Group B going against the four fastest in Group A, and so on. Those quickest will progress into the semi-finals and onto the final, leaving one final pair battling for the Julius Baer pole position and three championship points. The winner and runner-up will start on the front row with the semi-finalists on the second row, quarter-finalists filling the spots between fifth and eighth based on lap times, and the remaining positions also ranked by lap time and which qualifying group they started in. Attack mode is an extra power mode that gives drivers an additional 30 kilowatts of power after driving through an activation zone off the racing line. Attack mode on. It's risk versus reward, as drivers might lose time or positions initially, but the added power gives them the chance to make them and more positions back and move themselves up the order. The additional power lasts for a set period of time. This duration and the number of activations required changes from circuit to circuit with the teams only provided with this information on race day. Attack mode is a fundamental part of race strategy in Formula E, and all drivers have to use it. But the decision on when to activate can be the difference between disaster and winning the race. Fan Boost gives you the chance to vote for your favorite driver to unlock a short 5 kilowatt boost of power that can be used to help them make a critical overtake or defend against the cars behind. Good job, good job. Keep energy under control. The five drivers with the most votes will unlock the extra power boost to be used in the second half of the race by pressing a button on their steering wheel. But who gets Fan Boost is up to you. We go for plan A, plan A, you have Fan Boost. You can make your votes ahead of each race on the Formula E website. Friends, C.S. Lewis spoke about two opposite and equally perilous errors we make regarding the devil and his demons. Either we make too much of them, or we go about blissfully as though they don't even exist. Either error suits the devil just fine because he can use either to ruin us. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church, and we're considering what the Bible teaches about the devil and his tactics. Yesterday we considered the error of excessive interest in demons. Today we'll consider the opposite error, living oblivious to the great danger our invisible enemy presents. 
A great remedy to this I've found is to meditate on what Paul is doing in the second half of Ephesians. After speaking to the church's unity in Christ, Paul ends chapter 4 with some warnings, particularly in verse 27, that we not give the devil a foothold in our lives. In chapter 5, Paul begins to flesh this out by telling us to walk carefully because we're living in evil days, verses 15 and 16. And the Greek word here for walk carefully is the word we get the English word acrobat from. Paul is saying, you need to be on your toes because you're walking through a minefield every day. One false step, kablooey! And then Paul begins a long section that concludes chapter 5 and goes into chapter 6, a section often entitled Household Codes. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate. And it ends with a section on slaves and masters, which we could say today are workers and bosses. Paul's spelling out how we are to be rightly related to each other. Now listen to what comes immediately after as Paul ends his letter. Verses 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Does this not seem odd? Paul begins with the world being a minefield, a dangerous battlefield. Stay on your toes. And then he enters into our living rooms and our workplaces with our family and our friends. And immediately after, he takes us on this 20,000-foot flyover to show us this great cosmic battle that's raging. Paul, what are you doing? Let me ask you, does your marriage ever feel like a battle? Do family members line up and take sides against each other? Ever felt ambushed at your job? And what do we end up doing about it? Do we crawl into the corner? Do we play passive-aggressive? What's going on when I can be perfectly fine one minute and the next I'm boiling mad? How come we can get so angry at someone and the next day we look back and say, what in the world came over me? Oh yeah, Joel. Paul said in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Don't give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. Paul is saying that that battle in your home was the devil's deception. He found a weak spot. Your husband, your wife, your parent, your boss, they weren't your enemy. Your true enemy pulled out his playbook and he ran a misdirection and you fell for it big time. And he's very good, my friends. He's doing this all over our community. How many battles rage all around us? Someone just got killed at a local gas station. It was on the news and after was a report on plans to reduce gun violence, the lack of education, safety courses. There's a list of contributing causes. I heard nothing about the devil. He didn't make the list. And that is because CNN, Fox, ABC, none of them have a clue. They choose to be oblivious to the greater spiritual reality. My friend, we cannot be oblivious. That error will destroy us. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And by the way, this is a guy who's been beaten with rods, whipped, stoned by human opposition. But Paul understands that this is a visible manifestation of a bigger invisible battle. There are supernatural cosmic invaders all around, and mankind is the battlefield. 
How often do we think about this in our day-to-day? Do we think about this when we're exhausted by temptation? When our emotions are the biggest muscles in our bodies? When our normal situations just seem to be such a struggle? When life just seems like darkness? Are we aware of what we cannot see? My dear friend, this is the intimate conflict. The enemy seeking to take you down. That's what Paul's saying is he uses this really rare Greek word, which means to wrestle or to take down. Paul later say the devil launches darts, but here is a much more intimate conflict. The enemy is seeking to take you down. And we need to see this as part of the normal of this age. The news isn't going to inform you of this. Sadly, too many preachers deny this, selling you a message of prosperity and peace. Now, yes, Jesus did give us his peace. He left us his peace, but that was peace with God. An end to the hostility with your creator, so now the Father's face shines upon you. Praise Jesus! But there can be no cessation to all hostilities until that wonderful day our Lord Jesus returns. So what do we do, Joel? Three things. First, we get up each day remembering we're at war. And so we get on our knees and pray that God will bring the powers of heaven to bear on every situation we're going to face in our day. Second, we remember Paul's admonition. We remember that we don't go out in our own strength, but we go out in the strength of the Lord and in his might. And third, we make sure we're wearing the right gear when we go out, which we'll explore more tomorrow. But until then, my friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. C.S. Lewis spoke about two opposite errors we tend towards regarding the devil and his demons. Either we make too much of them or we live as though they don't even exist. And friends, either error is of equal pleasure to the devil. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church and we're considering what the Bible tells us about the devil and his deceptions. So let's consider that first error, excessive interest in demons. Now, I grew up in churches fixated on the supernatural. We read Frank Peretti fiction novels where towns were controlled by demons who were inhabiting all its residents. Naturally, this led us to worry about who in our own midst might be a pawn of Satan. What do you think? Is this an unhealthy fixation? When you open up Mark's Gospel, it reveals that people can be possessed. In fact, it's chock full of exorcisms. Jesus arrives on the scene proclaiming the gospel of God. He's saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1, 14 and 15. And after rounding up a few disciples, Jesus goes to a synagogue and they invite the new preacher to come fill the pulpit. It's Jesus' first preaching gig in Mark. And he's preaching and you know what happens? A man interrupts Jesus screaming, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. A man possessed by a demon is in the church service and he's going crazy. I don't know what I'd do if a possessed man started screaming at me while I was preaching. We haven't drawn up a plan of action for that. But this scene reveals that there are folks, even church folks, who are the targets of the demonic. I've talked to missionaries who've encountered this. So Peretti, is not all out to lunch. We need to take seriously the demonic because the Bible reveals they are out to destroy our neighbors. 
We must not make that second error by avoiding talking about them. But the churches I grew up in made the first error. What do you mean, Joel? A person would come in struggling with sin or shame or anything, and they would regularly be told, oh, this is the demonic. We spent so much time attributing all a person's problems to the demonic, we lost sight of the human beings right in front of us. And you know what happens when you lose sight of that human being right in front of you, made in God's image? You lose sight of their need to repent and believe in the gospel, what Jesus was preaching. The very thing King Jesus went proclaiming would set us free. Let me ask you, whose work of deception do you think that is? The kingdom of Satan, friends, is very busy in our day because it sees its days are numbered. As we see in that synagogue scene where this demon speaks up. Isn't it interesting you don't find this sort of thing happening in the Old Testament? It's only when Jesus arrives on the scene, preaching the gospel, that the forces of darkness start getting really unsettled because this demon gets it. Jesus coming threatens his whole fraternity. He thinks that this means judgment day for Satan's kingdom. And Jesus demonstrates the realm of darkness is no match for him. He commands the demon to be silent and to come out of the man, and the demon does. And do you know how the crowd responds? Listen to verse 27. They say, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Did you catch that? The crowd is as blown away by Jesus' teaching of the gospel as they are by his exorcism. This text tells us we ought to be amazed every time we hear the gospel preached. And let's be real, I'm not sure we are. Let's suppose you had a surprise exorcism at your church. Your pastor casts a demon out of a man who's screaming. I bet you'd be amazed. You pull out your phone, record the scene, and you'd be posting it all over social media to your friends. Guess what happened at my church? Check out my post. Look, the kingdom of God is coming in power. You have to come and visit and experience it. Friends, we ought to have the same excitement when your pastor simply brings you the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because when the gospel is faithfully preached, the kingdom of God is made manifest and the Holy Spirit is at work. And when that happens, I guarantee you, we are truly taking our enemy seriously. And we need not get worked up seeing a demon behind every tree and bush. Jesus Christ is in our midst, and we can watch the powers of darkness get defeated over and over again every week as we look to him in faith and turn away from this present darkness. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 2023-2024.